who did not write Ghost Protocol. Christopher McQuarrie is Tom Cruise's BFF when it comes to the movie. I don't think that yeah. they like vacation together. I don't think they're going to Maui. But Christopher McQuarrie directs like Valkyrie. He he wrote like yeah yeah he's written a bunch of shits. But like I'm oh he wrote The Usual Suspects. Yeah oh yeah is he an he's an Oscar winner for screenplay I guess. Let me look it up here. I'm um, on his IMDb. Oh yeah yep. But I'm that's why I'm I thought, so. Uh, it's such a wild he who card. He will not for me. be named. Wrote it. He directed well. that guy. Directed it. But I am so yeah. Christopher McQuarrie won an Oscar for that. I am so fascinated that this action movie that people are saying is the next Mad Max Fury Road that Ben was saying before we got on mic sort of makes a case for the franchise that it's this amazing one of the best action movies ever made, which you two just saw, mm-hmm. is directed by that guy, the yeah. Valkyrie guy. Yeah. I, and that makes me even more excited about it because it's completely. I don't. I don't know how that guy does something Titanic and amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited I mean, to see how it all comes together. Have y'all seen Rogue Nation? Rogue Nation. Did it's do, it's oh, wait, very, it's very, very, very. Did he do Rogue Nation? Very yes. good. I, well, Rogue I'm Nation. on the record. I love Rogue Nation. I think it's great. The Rogue opera Nation. scene he, and the yes. ballet. It's opera. And this, Christopher McQuarrie has elevated Mission Impossible to the next level or I agree. whatever. What's interesting about the Mission Impossible franchise, this I guess is also we, not yeah, the Mission Impossible is, episode. Yeah, this is not the Mission Impossible <laughs> episode, which is forthcoming, so maybe I won't say too much. But I love this franchise, and I think from the beginning it has elevated the idea of an action movie. I think that the first Mission Impossible, Brian De Palma, injects it with this attitude and with this theatricality where he's showing you the moving pieces, like showing you how the yeah. sets work. Um, we'll talk more in the episode, but I think it is one of the best movies about the magic of movie of making. Um, That's uh, Mission Impossible. And I, I have a case for every single entry on why each one is worthy. Hell yeah. See, okay. see you at the Mission Okay. <laughs> Do you two have any, any vague thoughts? Even the second I one. I just have one that I think is absolute garbage is the second one. I, Which is the John Woo. Yeah. I even can defend that one. That I have I saw Mission oh, Impossible right. too. It's horrible, but I, I don't can even remember it. specifically. I'm sure it was like a sleepover or at a parents' party, and the kids were downstairs watching a movie. I've seen MI2. I remember nothing about it. So what's funny That's is that I, how I went into the it. The one I saw like in middle school and haven't seen since. I remember the most. I was like, oh, I remember. It had burrowed. But into Tandy you. Newton was faceless in your memory. I didn't in my memory. But then once I saw it, the when you, well, when, you, when you say faceless, I'm thinking about a very specific scene from a Twin Peaks. Yeah. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Palmer. moved her face. Oh, <laughs> no, I thought it was... Uh, Laura? The, no, the other woman that they find in the woods. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Jane Addams' corpse. Or yeah. not her corpse, but the corpse that she... The woman with, like, mouths for eyes. Yeah. Uh, oh, her. Now, we'll talk about this in the Twin Peaks, the return of... But this is so fun. We're, know, we're, we're just teasing little, all of our future teases, episodes. Little teases, little teases, little morsels to lead you what to we the to gingerbread house of the episode. Talk well, we'll get to that in a second in our okay. own time. No, no need to rush it. But that's the same woman from episode three, yeah. right? Yeah. From Which the, I love. The room. The room in space. In the... With the There's a lake oh, yes, yes, in yes. space. Yes. When, when, I thought you meant episode three of the which original Which reminds me of run. Solaris. No. No, no, no. And then and then um and then he climbs then, through <laughs> Yes, and then and then weasels his way out of a and little then, uh, it's outlet. It's, electrical outlet. It's uh that shot of Cooper inside Ben's gay face. Exactly. Yeah, like, inside <laughs> on Ben's gay tongue. Yes, that's not Can you believe Cooper how long lives. ago that was? No. That was like over a week ago. That I, was exactly a week ago. That was on Thursday. Oh, you mean when we when Brandon and I 
uh, ingeniously. Oh yeah, when you made the meme, yeah, when you when, memed when we my face. The meme. Yes, yeah. Let's retweet it from the account. Let's Great. do it right now. Let's Great. just okay. Just pause. Uh, don't pause the recording, but just we'll just pause the conversation for a second for you to do a retweet. I'm Benji. <laughs> oh, see, I'm excited about this because I about Fallout because I'm not the biggest Benji fan. Ooh. And love Benji. I don't dislike Benji. I just am not necessarily charmed by the Simon Pegg of it all. And I sure. like Simon Pegg, but sure. it's always felt like shoehorned in, in in a way like Simon Pegg breaks in Shaun of the Dead and mm. in Spaced and, and becomes this new hot British comedian. And yeah. we're going to stick him into an American franchise as, yeah. as like a wisecracker. And I found that they haven't always known what to do with Benji, but I'm and they, they learn really well in they Fallout. Learn. And it's yes. very subtle. Hell yeah. They learn I what to do with I don't dislike it. Him. I just think it's always a little clumsy. Because he got introduced in what? Three? I think it's I think three. Because he's a JJ guy. Right. So he gets introduced in three. They don't really figure out what to do with him until four. Brad Bird, they give him a nice role, I think. It's anyway. been a while since I got we'll, ghosted on we'll the talk. protocol. I need nice. to put my, my cell phone on silence. Silence oh. your telephones, please. That's what I've been... Um, I've, I've only said that about ten times the past week to folks about Here silencing their cell phones at yeah, Outfest. Yeah, what have you been busy with? Well, I have been... In the midst of Outfest Los Angeles, which is the premier LGBTQ film festival in the world. And as I have mentioned on the program before, I program their short films. So I have been doing a lot of introductions for films and Q&A sessions afterwards. But before every film, I have to to say, excuse me, we are at the cinema and we are here to look at this screen, not the screen in your pockets. So if you could just put your cell phones away. How often does someone applaud that? No, I have not as much as I'd like, and that's the that's what I'm gonna. Those work are my on. favorite people at the Arrow. Yeah, fuck phones. Just like ostentatiously. Yeah, turn off the phone. Fuck it. My, fuck jobs. My favorite was um, when unfriended the guy introduced that screening and to talk about putting your phones away. He was like, "Put your phone away because you're gonna be staring at." A screed. Well, I said the that. Whole time. I said that before the Q and A or before the um, the grinder. The looking for the. Oh, you did. Yeah. Mm. There's but a. I, there are plenty of screens up here, folks. So we don't need them in your pocket. I do have to share the one that I came up with today that I'm pretty proud of. Nice. And I only have two more opportunities to use it, which is, you know, put your phones away. Your Instagram story can wait, but this story on the screen cannot. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. You can only see it now, folks. Good job. Only see it now. That's Thank true. you. Wonderful. Priorities, am I right? Priorities, IMO. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Tell us about social media, Daniel. In the film that we're discussing this yeah. week, where well, yeah, I was segueing. Well, it's so funny. We all sort of naturally coalesced around the same segue. I heard Brandon say, "Okay, shut up." In my head, in after mind, priorities, IMO. In your heart, priorities, in your mind. IMO. Welcome everyone to another episode of. I think, are you, are you correct, you? the host? Correct, because okay. last week you were the host when we talked. I about just Lee had Matrasse. assigned it to you, but I then I was like, "Wait, is that correct?" No, and I'm glad that I'm the it host. It worked out, and I'm glad that it I'm worked the host. out quite nice. Yes, we are here. Well, no, let's bring it back to one. T and you say, <clears throat> "Welcome everyone to another episode of Movies IMO." We are your three fave film faggots, faguidos, <gasps> um, faggissimo, and also. Mm. Fa- mm. Fa- mm. I'll work. On, I've got. I've got a pun mm. for the movie. We'll, I'll, I'll work on it later. Fa- just fag. Just fag. Because you get called a fag. We're theater grade. fags. Oh my god, we're theater fags. In this theater episode. fags. We are. My name is Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben Empey. And today on the podcast, we are discussing Bo Burnham's 
eighth grade. Correct. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm pausing for effect. Bo Burnham. With his blonde hair, his man-child attitude. <laughs> He's the perfect fit to talk about the problems of being a 14-year-old on that level. A 14-year-old boy. We can. No, we'll talk. We'll, no, 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 no. We'll get. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But I. I mean, do you want to start there? Should can I? Can I? Can I open with the critique that I wasn't going to put on the mic, well, but for, I'm going hold to? Hold on a second. For, sure. For, can I first just get okay? Let's get two things on the record, and the second one is the synopsis. But the first thing that oh, I right. that I want to sure. get on the record is that um, it, it this is I'm kind of excited about this episode because it's a strange thing where this is one of the most highly acclaimed movies of the year, and on paper seems like the sort of empathy IMO vehicle that is just going to have the three of us fags gushing about its open heart. And specifically and, for me, yeah. I love coming of age. Yes. I went into this well, expecting it to be number one on my wow. list. Well, yes. no, if, if I promise if you were introducing the movie this week, it would be your number one. It is one. the least me Incorrect. <laughs> out of the three of us. And it's, I feel like the most me. Mm-hmm. I would make a case that it is the most me. Um, Actually, yes. It is very much me. But so I, it's, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I'm the only one here who actually likes the movie and I don't just like it. I love it. I think it's one of the best movies I've seen all year and I have a lot to say about it. And I'm so curious to hear what you guys didn't like about it. But before we get into that, well, my favorite, I was going to make my favorite joke, which is make your favorite joke, the concept and then also <laughs> the execution. <laughs> I just didn't like the film for starters. <laughs> Second of all, this movie is about Kayla. She is an eighth grader who is reaching. She's almost at graduation. It's the she, last week of eighth grade. It's the last week of eighth grade. It's sort of in that in-between place where she's about to permanently leave behind childhood and move on to young adulthood in high school. And it follows her attempts to make friends, to um, to break out of her shell, to, to express herself. To express herself and to... And, you know, we can, we'll talk about this later and what maybe I'll agree with you guys on, but, um, and her relationship with her father. But more than anything, I think it's about her relationship with herself and her surroundings. So we will talk over the next three and a half hours, <laughs> beat by beat. The longer than the, Jean the, Dielman. The, 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 <laughs> yes. The themes, ideas, performances, mm. mise-en-scene. Textures. Of eighth grade. Okay. Wow. Go for it, guys. I love Anya. I love Sail Away by Anya so much. Same. I just have to say that. I love the use of it. I'm happy to start there. Great. Because I think, um, it sort of took my breath away. when The the music cue? The music cue, but not just the cue, what it was over. So there's this recurring motif throughout the movie where Kayla is permanently on her phone all the time, on Mm -hmm. social media, recording videos. It's obviously a haven. It's a refuge from the world around her. It's a place where she is able to disappear, feel safe, feel secure, and ignore the fact that she... Um, does not feel like she has any place in the world outside mm-hmm. of her. So to th- use sail away as a music cue while we are just dissolving over all of these different shots of Instagram feeds, tweets, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Fallon videos, you know, YouTube videos, and her face, it creates this heavenly symbiosis between yeah. all of these objects mm-hmm. and visually articulates in a way that I wasn't expecting in this film. When it comes to screens, I thought the film was going to have a fairly blase approach to it's, it. It does... He's. Bo Burnham. <laughs> he creates a he creates a safe haven. That's the end of my Bo point. Burnham does he's just he's very good at using craft. And that's evident in his stand up, it's evident in his songwriting, it's evident 
in this movie that he's very good at creating an emotional affect with the filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the things that I liked about it. And while we're on the topic of the internet, I think that's, that's probably the only thing realm where I have compliments to this movie is the way that it deals with a, a person who feels like an outcast's relationship with the internet. Yeah. And it's something that I think we can all relate to in this room. Mm-hmm. as being Twitter faggots. Yeah. Um, Twitter was there for me when I was at my darkest point in my life, and I was able to connect with other depressed people in a way that I had never had before. That's how I felt about film forums and IMDb, and, mm-hmm. which now I'm like, fuck the IMDb right. top 250. But yes, I, especially at this age, yeah. I definitely disappeared into worlds on the internet mm-hmm. to find safe space, to find community, while at the same time, <laughs> when you're watching that sequence, you do eventually become numbed out by the nirvana of it all, yeah. which as we have talked off mic anyway before about what a numbing effect being, uh, ubiquitous, ubiquitously upon the internet can do to your brain. It's can a drug. Do to your, it's a drug. Exactly. And, and the sail away montage feels like, um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking at? It feels high. like a high, of course, <laughs> but that's not what I mean. The, like the, um, We'll just go with high because I can't think of the more specific term. Yeah, euphoria. No, no, no. It's like a it's like a drug term. Oh, like when it when it when it first like kicks it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just like the, know just like the rush. The of, jolt. Hmm. Well, it's not a jolt. It's like so peaceful and ephemeral. Well, it depends on what drug. <laughs> I know, but I, 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 again, I am having a hard time figuring out my word on it. So we don't know what kind of drug I'm talking about, but. I do like that about this movie. And I think it Is uses that it's screens a, really well. Yeah, and it's it in, does. inventive and it overlays with images of her sometimes. And like we get this double exposure at one point. Mm-hmm. And with her eyes. Not just part? her eyes, but there it like goes into different shots of her in bed. And yes. it's like not just seeing the full screen I'm motioning on Brandon's computer. Yes. We are doing close ups on the screen right. itself and yeah. it's much more visually interesting. Yeah, than I, I think it was as a document of like adolescents now in this digital age like using snapchat using instagram facebook is for old people like that one character says um i think in that very specific like motive it's it succeeds and it it portrays that world and addiction frankly without judgment yeah right yeah it's just like the nature of kids these days is that's what they're doing and that's what they like to do and that's how they connect Mm-hmm. And there's there's no moment where Kayla decides, you know what? I probably should put the phone away. Yeah, it it, it is. It's right. just part of it her part DNA. Of the, yeah, it's part of their DNA. It's part of the universe of the mm-hmm. film. And it would be disingenuous for someone at some point to be like, frankly, like in the edge of seventeen. My generation is so obsessed with their screens, and if it's not on their screens, and they don't care about it. Like, I love that. This does she stuff, say that? She does say. I don't remember. In she, Edge of Seventeen, does, which feels very does. inauthentic because it's like, you're not outside of that girl. I have to right. say, I mean, watching, rewatching Edge of Seventeen, I still really like the movie. I like a lot about it. I liked it less. And after watching Eighth Grade, I like it even less, especially when it comes to the idea of Kayla being an outsider. And something that this film does when it comes to portraying an outsider in that junior high, high school space that I think is really admirable is there is no moment where she says... I'm an old soul or I'm different than my peers. It is all through the performance and through the storytelling that we are able to capture her opposition to her environment and her peers. And there's no monologue where she's like, I just, if only I could fit in and wear and straighten my hair and clear up my acne. Like Mm -hmm. in in the edge of 17, which is a very good movie is so schematic. Yeah. And this film 
and I'm sure that you guys don't like the structure of it because I was doing a little bit of research just on Letterboxd before. Eighth grade? Yeah, I guess some people don't really like the structure of well, it. Well, I like... What's there to dislike about it? It's... I think the first half is a bit of a tone poem and like it just uses music and cutting and just performance in a very like just visceral way. There's no real plot for the first half, I think. And I then just... once the story and the plot starts kicking in and then the big turning point happens, that's when it loses me. It loses me in the script. Mm-hmm. Like so you... the first half is very, I don't know, just like mood, well, which, I lo- which I like. I love how subject- I did for like the first half hour. I was just like, oh, maybe I am going to like this because well, I was after you talked shit for a week <laughs> i was i was a little nervous and i was just like on edge and like i have to really try to like this mm-hmm. and then I, and then for like half an hour i was like oh it's gonna be easier than i thought to like this but then it slowly lost I, me. I mean i think that when it comes to elements of form that you're talking about with the very aggressive music cues and the cutting and then some of these montages like the one we've just mentioned with Inya. The best eyes boy. Yes. It's that scene, that's probably the best part of the it's movie. The, yeah. The film when that music cue hits. Boom. Oh it <laughs> oh, is it's good. Amazing. I love that. I loved the movie it, when my, that was happening. It's, yeah. it's not only is it highly subjective in a way that I think really gets inside the head of this girl but also is exactly how someone who spends all of their time on the internet with memes and short attention span, Instagram, ADD, that is how, that is how you would express that moment. Because it's not just that like boom like of the, of the music cue, which is very funny, but it's not just Bo Burnham trying to get a reaction out of the audience like for a laugh with this aggressive techno music cue. Mm-hmm. It's that, that, is the, that is the music in her head that she is accustomed to uh, hearing on the internet right. with some sort of dramatic reveal. And then when it cuts off very... Um, jarringly yeah. quick. At first, I was like, "Oh, I think that that was a little too that was that should have continued on for another thirty seconds." I'm not sure I like that, but that's because I'm coming at it from the perspective of a 27 year old who mm-hmm. has a you know our attention spans are shrinking. But I am able to. Um, my point is, is that for for someone of that generation, I don't think for a second they would be like, "Oh, that was a little that was a little quick." That was cut short a little bit. That yeah. seemed unnatural. I, like you're scrolling between posts so quickly. Like yeah. you only experience things for five seconds at a time. I think that. the cutoff's perfect because then it blasts you back into reality. And she's like, good job. Yes. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I want to say before we keep going, because about the film's uh, sketching of the relationship between Kayla and technology. Mm-hmm. I think in the very beginning of the film when she's recording that video, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about the videos later, and I'm sure that we will. Um we cut to a wider shot away from the computer uh-huh. in, in her bedroom. I like that a lot. And it is a completely dark room except for this one bright light that's coming from her laptop screen yeah. in the corner. And so she, you get this whole idea of she is in this nebulous, dark world that she can't see through. But in this spot right here, she can see right in front of her. She can, she can be herself. She, mm-hmm. she, she can see. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a beautiful visual metaphor. Yeah, I love that opening. Of the video and then pulling out to see that. Yeah. I mean, Elsie Fisher, she's Holy incredible shit. the whole movie, but I think specifically when she's recording the videos, that is a very specific performance tone, tone mm-hmm. to, to, to deliver, and she does it. And it's not improvised. That was all, like, I saw an interview with Bo Burnham. Those are all scripted, and she is following the script to it. The likes yes. and the, the uhs, uhs uh-huh. and the likes, the, yeah. Which, and the like. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it's the, incredible. the likes and the uhs. I. 
so I, I, I really did cry throughout the entire film. Like 10 minutes in until the end, I was crying every few minutes. I was I so I was moved by this film and moved by the performance and moved by the emotions that it evokes. But one, there was a moment later in the film where I just fucking lost it. And it's when you hear her listening back to the video she recorded for herself two years earlier in sixth grade to oh. listen to in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. She sounds confident. She sounds optimistic. She sounds poised. Mm-hmm. And to note, like, it, it's so easy to imagine, like, a very clean arc between being six years old and then getting up to 14. Mm-hmm. And it's not until high school that you really embody yourself. But something very smartly and subtly, um, or something that the film very smartly and subtly points out is that Junior high school, especially in the beginning of high school, is when you actually, for a lot of people, start to lose the confidence that you had as a kid. And to hear it in the tremulous quality of her voice, how she is constantly shrinking inside of herself and scared of how she's going to sound, of how she's going to come off, which obviously I can relate to because if you listen to this podcast, I correct myself mid-sentence every other fucking sentence. It's, It's something that strikes me as very true about being that age and being unsure of how you fit into the world around you and wanting to impress people and wanting to put your best foot forward, but not knowing how and not trusting yourself to. Mm-hmm. And that sort of moment between her and her sixth grade self just wrecked me yeah. and was, is a very fine observation in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And by fine, I mean like granular and fine. Yeah. I, and I think that all speaks to Elsie Fisher's performance, which I, there's nothing negative it's to say about it. It's it's amazing. She's incredible. She's, um, it's great. I just don't like the movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't like. I have a problem with her performance, but I don't think it's her. I think it's Bo Burnham. Okay. Which is, I often feel like she is giving the emotion that is needed to be telegraphed to the audience and not the emotion of Kayla in that moment. Does that make sense? Well, I, but I... I, that does make sense. I understand like, what you're saying. Go ahead. She, I feel like she is being directed to do something that isn't like I don't. I tried. I didn't spend enough time to like think about what is the example of this. But it's like I just feel like she's performing for an audience and not living the life of this character, which is what the character is doing though in these videos. I mean, it's I I find well maybe be more specific because I don't want to respond to something that you're not saying. It's just like in every scene, I feel like. She's trying more to telegraph to the viewer that she's awkward or she's uncomfortable or she's trying to seem confident or she's trying to do this more than I see the character trying to do that. Hmm. Then I then I so will respond not... to what I... That's what I thought you meant. So this is a character who spends her time doing self-help videos on the internet for no one. And then, and then mm-hmm. later realizes, maybe I should actually work on myself before I'm, I'm giving advice. This is a character who is, in a way, always performing, not in a ladybird kind of way. Most mm-hmm. of the time she doesn't know, you know, she has like two left feet mm-hmm. and she doesn't know even like how to make eye contact with somebody. But I think that especially when you consider the ways in which narratives on social media about power, about influence, I'm thinking like the Kardashians on Instagram, like the way, the way that the, 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 um, the ideal of what... Um, normal looks like mm-hmm. is also performative now that it makes sense to me that in the, that in her performance, she's emulating these abstract ideas. But I don't think she's performing for the people that she's in the scene with. She's performing for the audience at home. I don't in see the movie theater. I know. I, I understand the point. I'm, but I'm confused as to why it's a bad thing that she's making the audience feel something because it's, 
it's she's I don't see her as being in the moment of the scene as a performer. She's not. I mean, that's the thing about Kayla is that she's never in the moment because she doesn't know how to relax. No, but not about it. Kayla. About Elsie Fisher. I'm saying that it feeds into the character for me. I under I think I I think I understand what you're saying, but I like the fact that she's completely indecipherable in every single scene, and people don't know what to do with her. Even though to us, the audience, we get exactly where she's coming from. I think that's sort of the tightrope of the performance that mm-hmm. she is. People like like her. Her dad likes her. Her teachers like her because she so clearly has like a, a pure soul. She mm-hmm. she she just radiates that sort of empathetic glow. Mm-hmm. But her peers don't know what to do with her. Um, when she's trying to forge a connection with them, they're completely blank on their face. They don't know how to interpret what she's saying. Mm-hmm. The fact that she's able to telegraph that in a way that I think is a believable dynamic. I think she's acting off of the people she's in a scene with, while also telegraphing to the audience where she's at in the back of her head, I really think is a tremendous, what you're saying is a negative, mm-hmm. I think is a tremendous achievement for a young actress. Sure. I just think it's, it brings false to me. I, I hear you on that, but I don't, I just don't understand. I don't, I'm unable what, to suspend my disbelief that this is a character and not a girl playing a role that has been directed poorly. I, yeah, that makes sense. I just, I don't, um, I don't understand why it's a negative that Kayla seems completely uncomfortable or out of character every single time she's talking to another person in a scene. No, it's not the fact for like a 14 year old, but for like a 14 year old girl, I think demanding like clarity of character is beside the point. I mean, the whole fact is that she is, no, it's not about clarity either. Then maybe I'm not understanding your point. It's, she's not giving me pure Kayla. But she's, she's not able to get... That's the whole. That's her whole struggle no, in the movie, but, is figuring out how to give pure Kayla. No, but I mean, she's not giving me pure Kayla unable to do that. How do you feel about the scenes with Kayla when she's not acting against anyone else in a scene? I feel the same. So, but you're relating this to the ways that she's acting against other people in the scene. So No. Okay. I'm not. Okay, that's, that's what I thought you were saying. Just in general, mm-hmm. her performance... Is for the audience. It feels and not like a performance. For, not she's not. I don't see her living her life this. Way. She's not living her life. It that, doesn't that's feel the whole point. Lived in. She doesn't. I, she doesn't. She's not lived in. But okay. So then, when she's alone, yeah, when she's alone on her I phone, I still don't feel. I see it when she's alone on her phone and when she's recording these videos by herself. I do see pure Kayla coming out. I still think she is doing something for the audience. Well, I mean. She's an actress. Of course she's doing something for the audience. She's trying to make the audience feel something. I think that the fact she's able to do both really is quite remarkable. But I feel like I can see the seams. I mean, I see the seams of the character and that the character doesn't know who she is yet and that she is falling apart at the seams every time she tries on a different personality. That is a strength to me. That, that, that makes me think about how uncomfortable I was when I was that age and how I was trying to code switch between all these people and try mm-hmm. and put on all these different personalities and like... You know, the scene when she sneaks over in the in the gun drill, which we can talk about that. Oh, um, my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah, we can talk about that. But when but when Aiden is, like, asking about blowjobs, and she's like, oh, yeah, I do. Bl- or is that Edge of 17? No. No, no, no yeah. That's it. Yeah, and she's like, oh, no, I do blowjobs. Like, I have, I, I, I was saying shit like that to people. And then, and then another scene, like, talking with, you know, some cool girl trying to explain the shitty gift I got her. Like, right. mm-hmm. she is struggling to connect with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we're just not going to see eye to eye on this, but I think that quality that you find inauthentic and transparently performative, mm-hmm. that to me 
That to me is the face and the body and the language of a 14-year-old girl who is struggling with herself and struggling with her environment to authentically project herself. And the fact that she is able to make the audience feel a pure emotion at the same time, I think really speaks to a preternatural gift that Elsie Fisher has on the screen. But maybe we should talk about something else because we're not going to agree on this. I don't have anything to say about Elsie Fisher's performance, but I'm just not believing that Bo Burnham has burrowed into the mind of an eighth grade girl. I just, so, I just am uninterested in what he thinks a young eighth grade girl is going through, specifically in the turning point. The car scene. The I, car scene, well, which, which car is scene. when the movie ended for me. I was like, this scene, I don't care what Bo Burnham has to say about well, what do you, of a young female being in this situation. What do you think Elsie Fisher feels about it? I actually, I find that kind of um, reductive in a way that I think dismisses a lot of a lot of the work that Elsie Fisher is doing and that Bo Burnham is doing. I don't dismiss the idea that Bo Burnham can't write for a 14-year-old girl because he's a 30-something-year-old man or that I'm not interested in his perspective on it because he's a 30-year-old man. Because when it comes to her performance and what she's giving in every scene, it reminds me of watching my sisters grow up. It reminds me of being with my friends who were going through similar shit like this when we were talking at like at this age, like what they were going through, everything in this movie feels real to me. And I, and I'm it not, didn't to me. And I'm, I know that's not what you're saying, but I just, I don't think that it's fair to comp- I mean, most of the time and the three homework films we're doing are all directed by women about young girls. And I think that that lends them something special, of course. But I think that in that car scene, which I think maybe we, we arrive at a little clumsily, I think Bo Burnham is making a similar point that Catherine Brea is making in fat girl. When it comes to the ways in which men, when it comes in to the ways that men exercise their power and authority on young girls by by pretending to be their friend and their helper when really they're just trying to get laid, that wolf in sheep's clothing manipulation. Yeah. I the, the, I think I just don't like the way the scene is what used I... because he took. It feels like he just took the easy route to resolution because the I rest agree. of the movie is her just deciding. Uh, and then she has the monologue with the dad and everything that follows that pivotal moment in the car feels inauthentic the entire dad monologue i didn't believe a word of it but that has nothing to do with that scene i i see to me it that turning point felt like an easy route to get to the resolution i understand well i feel I'm, like i'm gonna be oppositional i need to i feel like yeah. bo burnham uh just didn't know what else to do there, and that's there, how I feel. And therefore, sexual humiliation. Would you prefer? Because what that scene is, I or- would. Pre- I'll tell you what I would prefer. Okay, I would prefer the focus on that very nice high school girl. She just vanishes, and it's replaced yes. with this sexual assault. Why does she just disappear? She disappears because there's no drama there. There's no conflict. The reason, but there could have been. No, and we can talk about that, but I, for one, find it less interesting to find out, to find out that a nice high school girl is actually going to be your rival, that actually she doesn't mean it. Well, that, that doesn't even have to be bitch. the conflict. No, but that's the point of this scene. Is the, it's a few things. One, is that she's not the adult she thinks she is. Mm-hmm. Two, that as she leaves the safety of middle school, of being on the, you know, living in her online bubble, mm-hmm. that there are dangers as a young woman that you enter to once you are in high school and once you develop a body. And it, it's completely true to me, that scene. The idea that this nice guy is going to take advantage of her because she tried to have a, an aside with him at mm-hmm. the mall. She, and he knows that 
and because he's a man, I don't think it's much of a leap to say that he would be manipulative, yeah. that he would prey on a younger girl. Yeah. He knows that she feels safe, and he knows that she's so desperately trying to fit in with this group that he has a leg up on her, and that also she knows nothing. So he can tell her, you know, I'm trying to be the nice guy that hooks up with you or sleeps with you before some asshole does down the line, which is right. the exact same logic used in Fat Girl. So yeah. I don't understand why. Is it the plot I don't, turn? I don't like... Because when it comes I to what, she, what he's saying, it's nearly identical to what Brea is saying in I, Fat Girl. I like the points you're saying about what the character says, what the words that come out of his mouth about, like, I'm doing you a favor. That rang true. But I don't like how the scene is used in the movie to be a turning point for Elsie. Yeah, for me, it's that... It's in eighth grade. It's a plot or device. Or for Kayla, it's not a bait and switch. In Fat Girl, it is the movie. Right, right. Well, I, but I don't think that eighth grade and that's is. A but eighth grade is not only about male dominance no. and, and and just like male supremacy. Which, if you're going to talk, I mean, I, I guess I just don't understand why it can't just stand as that point and not be what the entire movie is about when it comes to being a legitimate. Because it to feels make. like a cheap, easy move to me. I think it's a smart bait and switch. She's not looking for it because she's not old enough to know to be looking out for predators. She has a very juvenile look at boys, at love, at relationships, or just sex. When it's when she's confronted with it in this way, which mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere because she's right. not looking for the signals, Yeah, she doesn't know what to do. And also, I think that I love the way that that scene ends. When she's just like, she shuts it down. Mm. She doesn't even go along with it. In so many other high school movies, she takes her top off and then covers her breasts with her hands and shrinks in. The character actually has a lot of agency in that moment. And so I don't find it offensive. I'm not saying that that you're saying that it is, but I don't find it offensive that a male director is pushing this story because he's actually giving the female character more agency than I've seen in any other high school movie. But it still destroys her emotionally. Of course it does. Because this this is an opportunity when she realizes that the world that she is trying so hard to fit into, she knows nothing about. And that she has to work on herself and be present and maybe instead of trying to make friends with all these older people, actually try and forge a connection with someone on her level. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't... I, 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 sorry. No, I'm talking so much, please. I think, I think the scene could work if it was just implemented differently in the movie or just the way he uses the scene to project to propel to the end of the movie just it rubbed me the wrong way it's cheap to me it's cheap that's the only word that comes to mind is that it was a cheap easy plot device to end the movie i i mean i don't agree i don't agree and i also don't think that that ends the movie i think that you're giving it more weight than the film is giving it it is certainly what sends her home Mm -hmm. in a mess but I just don't understand why. And that's what makes her burn the box. It's what correct. It's, it's everything else that happens in but, the movie but you is understand? because of that but she, scene. No, it is because of all. It is not just the fact like that. It, that's the turning. The point. sequence culminates in that. But you're ignoring the fact that she is. I love the way that Bo Burnham directs the scene in the mall food court. The way that she is in this awkward position at the table and is in like I was saying earlier. He's always framing her in opposition to her environment. She's, you know, if we're going to start with something I don't like, I'm not sure that I like that her dad is spying on them in the mall. I hated that. I don't hate it, but I think that you could have done something better with it. But mm-hmm. that's a humiliation. Again, that on, seemed like on, an easy on, choice to do that. That's a humiliation. The other guy at the table calling her out for being a baby, that's a humiliation. The fact that she can't actually seem to connect with these two girls apart from like, you're really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, a, she's an intuitive girl. She must understand on some level that they're patting her on the head. That's a humiliation. And then this is the last humiliation. That entire sequence is one of humiliation. 
But by the but when don't... she gets in the car at the beginning of the car, she's definitely in higher spirits. Like, yeah. Like the evening was a success. I... Even though there were these humiliations. Okay. Why this is, is the term. Why, why is it cheap to expose that high school boys can be dangerous to young girls? How is that cheap? The way it's used here. As a bait and switch to blindside you with the character who's not looking for it. Yeah, I just... I find it, again, a like very it. smart way that Burnham is able to tell this story subjectively and another way that he's able to get into her mind that it was jarring for me when it went that direction. And then I realized, why, why am I surprised by this? Why am I... See, sur- I wasn't surprised. I'm, yeah, I was when, actually annoyed because I was like, oh, that's an easy thing to make happen. It just, it feels like real. the obvious scene. But who, I disagree, but I think that this is a place where the idea of like a script mechanic is so beside the point. And that's what I like a lot about this movie is that scenes like where she's writing in her journal about like things I want mm-hmm. or like when she's trying to date Aiden or when she's trying to make friends at the pool, none of these things are resolved because yeah. she's not brave enough to go forward and do them. The movie is smart enough to say that where most high school movies set up a, like an Edge of 17, set up a series of agendas that mm-hmm. our characters are going to spend the rest of the time very methodically and mechanically working out. Right. This movie is smart enough to know that most eighth graders, unless you're hot or a jock, aren't actually going to possess the bravery to take that all the way. Yeah. So I think that I think that a lot of the, the 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 supposed objectives are stymied left and right in this movie. And I think when it comes to this scene, it's just like it is actually it, it's just it is the it is the crystallization of her realizing that all of these things that she thinks are going to happen are not going to happen the way that she thinks they are. Mm-hmm. And until she takes a step back and realizes that she has a lot of learning to do, which involves stepping outside of her box for sure, but not growing up too fast that she realizes the best foot forward to go into high school. Mm-hmm. I just, we're again, we're not going to see eye to eye on this. Mm-hmm. I, I completely disagree. I think that it's actually for, if we're going to talk about like a man telling the story of a 14 year old girl, I think that Bo Burnham very smartly exposes the danger that young girls have when it comes to sexual assaults or just being preyed upon or gaslit mm-hmm. or manipulated by their male peers. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a bit of a turn, a sudden turn in the plot, which I think is a really smart call because like I said, she doesn't see it coming. I know, Ben, you said that you saw it coming. I did not see it coming. The minute they like have their moment at the table. I didn't know. I, I didn't see that. When, when he wanted to drop her off second. Second. Yeah. I didn't, well... Either way, if it if it's when he gets in the back of the car or when he says, "I want to drop her off second, I, of course, I knew at that point. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is, is that the like we know to look for these red flags. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what the camera is lingering on, it's it is we are able to pick up these social cues, but I don't think that the filmmaking is telegraphing it. I think that we, as adults, are able to pick up on those red flags mm-hmm. in a way that the character isn't. Yeah, yeah, I just don't I just think there are better ways to tell this point. Yeah, okay. that's how I felt. I just didn't like the way it was used. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not sure how another way that you would make the point of your classmates may try and rape you or manipulate you. I'm not sure, like, why one way... Like, I'm not sure there's, like, a better or worse way to do it in this way that works perfectly fine, in my opinion. So that's the difference. Yeah. It I, works for you. Yeah, it works for most people. But I understand your point. What's uh, next? I just wish I saw the movie that the critics saw. I, I was, saw that. I, I mean, I haven't read I'm, any of the I'm reviews. I'm thrilled frankly. that you saw the movie they saw. I God, I wish I saw it. <laughs> I, mean, I let's talk about the things we liked. I liked the shooting drill scene a lot. 
I like when she confronts the two girls at the end. And she like tries so hard to look at them, but she still but she just, can't do it. But she still just stares at the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like those scenes a lot. I don't like the mean girls, and I don't the, like the one scene where they're on their phones was a bit too like okay. Well, I just I've said before I hate movies where some people have a soul and not everyone has a soul. You have to pick one. Either no one has a soul or everyone has a soul. And I don't like the way that we are asked to I just think there's a way to to show mean girls and such without completely devoiding them of humanity and I think that makes the film not empathetic overall because you are denying humanity to half of the characters in the movie so you're saying that the mean girls didn't get a fair shake that's not my point it's I don't I'm not asking to like the mean girls. I'm asking to show them as human beings. I think we do see them as human beings in the pool scene before she goes in, we see everybody having a great time connecting, being loving to one another. You do see it. I completely disagree. I also when it comes to like my own junior high experience, mm-hmm. um, I remember plenty of times trying to talk to somebody and straight up wouldn't make eye contact with me. I remember being at parties where I decided I'm actually gonna take a plunge, I'm gonna do karaoke, or I'm gonna sing. I remember playing with my band at some like at this one pool party, like having to summon you up had the a band. Coach. Yes, I had a band. Let's in middle stop school. and talk about that. <laughs> well, can I just finish my point and then we can talk about it? I know what it's like to summon up the courage to talk to somebody or to perform, Mm -hmm. and then once you do it, it's not the movie moment where people see your humanity and then look at you. No, people still continue their conversations, actively avoid your gaze, and then once you're done, don't comment on it to you. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to these girls being on their phones, Reed's is completely true to me on that level. We didn't have cell phones when I was in junior high, but if if people had had cell phones, they would have been looking at that instead of looking at me. And, And I just, I don't, I think that... I just think you can be mean in a vulnerable way. But that's not what the movie's trying to do. The movie is a subjective telling of how she sees the world. Yeah, I guess. And I just don't like that, I guess. I just don't think that's a successful directing tactic. I think it's pretty fucking brilliant. And and not just in the performance and not just in the script, but again, the ways in which he frames her in these scenes, the way that he uses the Zoom, for instance, at the pool party, and most of the times... Pool party scene is incredible. No, but that's like... When when, when the shot starts on her behind the glass door, she's occupying most of the frame, and then Uh zooms out more and more and more, and we see everything that's going on, like all the kids playing and everything, and she becomes so minimized and oppressed by her environment. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of being ready to take that step and then actually the consequences of what's going on start to set in. Yeah. And how overwhelming and stressful and scary it is. And then when she finally gets in the pool, it's like a fucking war zone with kids jumping in and the mm-hmm. balls going in. This is an example of why it's such a great subjective film. Because if you were to take it, if you were to take it in a less subjective way, you don't mix somebody jumping into the pool or a splash as something that sounds like gunfire or or a bomb dropping rather. And I don't think you can have it both ways. If you're gonna have a scene like that, and if you're going to tell this story through this girl's eyes then i just don't think it makes any sense to 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 try and not i don't i don't want to say humanize because actually like i said i do think that it humanizes those characters plenty i don't think that the movie needs to go out of its way to prove that the mean girls are people too i think that the movie depends on us as people to know that they're people too and then also when we catch them when when they're not when she's not interacting with them like in the beginning of the pool party we see that they are capable of joy and fun and sharing moments with people it's just whenever she's talking to them, they're completely disinterested in her. It's like when they, when the girl, uh, the lead mean girl, opened the gift, the gift <laughs> right before Kayla's gift. She's like really excited about whatever cute shirt she got, and then she's like, 
what's it from it's like and i've it's, had that experience when i was a kid showing up, a gift showing up to parties that like either my parents it. were friends with them or like like or we were all in the same class so like i was gonna go it's not like people hated me but a lot of people weren't really interested in getting to know me mm-hmm. and that's i think what the movie is with kayla they're not saying right. that these people are monsters who are irredeemable they're saying that they don't want to get to know her mm. yeah and that's a lot of what the conflict in the movie is is her trying to be recognized and seen and learning how to express herself going back um, to um that pool scene that's definitely the scene people are pointing to when they compare this to the, everyone's been saying this is like a horror movie it's that definitely is a, that, that is a pool scene. That is a horror movie. When that that zoom you're talking about, the zoom out and that whatever music is playing, <laughs> it's aggressive. It's, it's scary. really it's scary. But I was it's in actually a band. scary. Let's talk about that. When was wait? It? Can I and say what did you play? Okay, and... talk about the band and then I want to say I mostly was the lead vocalist. Nice. Shut up. I yeah. Really? I wrote our songs. Nice. And occasionally, what was it named? Uh, we had a lot of names. Oh, good. Uh, what was we were the new episodes was the nice. one that we re- oh. was the one that we recorded under. Oh, oh no 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 no. We re- <laughs> we recorded under the episodes and the name of the EP was the new episodes. Nice. We also were. I when was this eighth grade? No, this was seventh and eighth grade. Nice. Oh wow. Uh, at another point, we were called. Do you have photos from Adobo. this era? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm sure that my parents do. Hell yeah. We were. I wanted to call us. Hell I yeah. want to post I wanted, them to the I, Twitter. This is good. Mm. This is good. I wanted to call us the Plastic Minutes. Oh, <laughs> which is so dumb. Deep. I know, makes no sense. But yeah, we were called the episodes. And occasionally I would play keyboard on some songs. You did vocals. What kind of music was this? Rock and roll music. Just like... Nice. Thank you for being a friend. Oh, so it was like classic like emo No, no, I'm kidding. No, it was me. I mean, it was emo that I was pouring my heart and soul into these performances and being really sweet with my singing. Nice. Yeah. Do you have recording? Do you have like... Do you still have these EPs? Yeah, do you have them somewhere? A singular EP. I think my brother probably I think we have to close out the episode with a track. I will try and... No, I don't... I can't. This episode drops in two days. There's no way. Oh, you're right. I can't well, we'll do it. it in a later episode. Yeah. A fun we, did, we did an tease. REM cover. Oh, get this. Okay, so not to get too regional, but I wrote a song called Fred 62 when I was 13 years old or 14 years old one based on the restaurant Fred 62 in Los Feliz, which is down the street from where my uncle lived when I visited LA as a, as, as Elsie's age or Elsie as Kayla's age. And, I I uh, doing that. and then I wrote a song, but not to get, not to get too regional what? about the restaurant what? Fred 62. I keep flipping Elsie and Kayla. Oh. Anyway, yeah, that was the band. Can I say one final? I'm done talking about eighth grade, but <laughs> yeah, this is what I was saying before we recorded. I, I have so much to say, but I think it's going to be a short episode. Um, well, we have homework to discuss. Um, I just want to say the one thing that happened in this movie where I was finally like, "Fuck this movie." Okay, let's hear it. It's when uh, Bo Burnham makes Kayla a Rick and Morty fan. <laughs> I wouldn't she be? No. And a four, what clues? A, a 14, what a 14 clues year old give who, us? A 14-year-old who lives on the internet. There's your, there's your balance, Brandon. I don't know. It felt very Bo Burnham Rick projecting Mor- his own interests. Rick, Rick and Morty is so internet culture. By the way, Bo Burnham is, is an authority if you, to, when it comes to talking about internet culture, mm-hmm. about talking about YouTube. Bo Burnham is an authority on this. Yeah. You have to. I mean, I, this right. is one place All where right. it's like. I, still, I agree with Brandon on this. Why is it weird that she's a Rick and Morty fan? It made it felt like she was a a if, mouthpiece for Bo Burnham in that moment, and no, I didn't like it. But 
last year when like I mean Rick and Morty is a toxic fan base. It's mm-hmm. mostly men, and it's you know there's like a lot of MRI I guess that's it. it's like that's what I associate it right, with. That's right. what I and was so associating. But do you think that a 14 year old girl does who spends all her time on the internet and Rick and Morty is yeah, a but very, what she's like, watching is like makeup tutorials. Yeah, but she's also looking through memes, and she's also on Instagram. Like Rick and Morty is very highly shared in memes, in gifs, in reaction. Like I don't know if she's trolling Reddit. You don't have to be on Reddit for Rick and Morty to pop up. I'm not on Reddit, and I see Rick and Morty shit on my timeline and on Instagram all the time. Oh, really? I well, I shouldn't do. say all the time, but I yes, must. I must. Rick and Rick and Morty filter is, properly. Rick and Morty is one of those shows I've never seen, and yet I feel like I've seen every episode. Just like with oh, Avengers really? Infinity War, I've never seen it, but I feel like mm-hmm. I've seen it ten times at this point. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know a Rick and Morty reference other than the Shazuin sauce. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and I'm on the internet a lot. Is what I mean, I'm saying. I believe. Are like, you on the same internet as a 14 year old yeah. girl? Are you watching? Yes. Are you are you watching? Are you watching? Maybe. Are you watching? I'm a are you watching? Sexual male. Are you watching Jimmy Fallon videos on YouTube? No. Well, so she is. They pop up. This is what I'm saying. Like it's. It, we're I all believe on the same that. Internet, but it's it's it's, it's all just, she's, I would have believed it more if Gabe brought up Rick and Morty, and she was like, "Haha, what's that?" That I would have believed. Don't, I think she would at least know No, I think she would know what it is. But I don't think she would watch it. I feel like she would have been like, She's a girly girl. So you're saying girls can't like Rick and Morty? It's just, because I associate it with the toxic male fan base, my conception is no, they wouldn't. Women are fans of Rick and Morty too. And it makes a lot of sense that a teenage girl, who it's also like, what is it, like Adult Swim or some shit? Like, that's edgy. Sure. To teenage, like, especially to teenagers. I remember, like, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and shit like that when oh, I yeah. was that age. It's like, that was cutting edge content. And if you knew anything about I it, it was very Aqua cool. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I do, I do too. <laughs> Great. I don't know. A, a, a trenchant critique of the Bush two years. Mm. Um, I didn't mean to divide the table one last time, but I just, that rubbed me the wrong way. No, and, okay. And, but I, and when, and when. I was rubbed the when, wrong way. When that, I definitely when rolled that re- my eyes. When that reference came up, was I like, God, I wish you had talked about Futurama instead? Sure. Did it, did it read as inauthentic to me? No. It did to me. But only because we are adults who have you a very different... You had already suspended your disbelief. No, I, I, no, I believed it. That's what suspension of disbelief No, suspension is. of disbelief means that, means that I'm going believing. to take away the things that are going to cut at what they're saying, and I'm just going to go with the direction of the movie. It's not even that. I feel like it's very organic for a teenager who spends all their time on the internet to know what Rick and Morty is. Yeah. Or, by the not way, saying that she way, doesn't know what it is. Why can't she be a fan of it? And also, it's not like... I just if, don't believe it. Okay, I don't believe it. I believe it. We guess we won't agree on this. <laughs> I love not agreeing. No, it's fine. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I honestly, no, I don't need to go. I don't need to go in that direction. It's fine if you guys don't like the movie, but I, no, I, I don't need to. I'm gonna end up saying something I regret, and but by not You're trying chastise to chastise us for not like. No, it. I'm not gonna chastise you. I'm, I'm just sort of baffled in a way as to why you're trying to tell the movie better what 14 year old girls know on the internet. Just because you have your own loaded perception of what each you of keep things saying, are. knowing, and it's not about what they know. Enjoying, consuming, choose your word. Don't, it, don't it, do, no, but no. I mean, I'm just saying it's a different situation. Okay, but respond to what I'm saying instead of the word knowing, consuming. No, I'm watching, enjoying. It, it matters. It's a different word. It's a different meaning, and I'm not being pedantic. But well, it, then, well, then let's reverse. Put in T and you see. Mm-hmm. And pretend that I said consuming. Now respond. No, that is right. I don't know. But based on what the clues that this movie has given me about what else she consumes, mm-hmm. my belief is that she wouldn't. These things don't feel similar to me. 
so she can only have one set of interests is what you're saying. It's either makeup tutorials or Rick and Morty, but it can't be both. It's just that's it's how just very, mo- very That's no. how movies work. But this who gives a fuck how a movie works? This is about the interior life of a 14-year-old girl. Fuck fuck movie conventions. Fuck the idea of Edge of 17, where it's a very linear progression of how this girl is going to achieve what she wants in high school. Well, Fuck I don't like that. that movie that much either. No, I'm not, so. sa- I'm not saying that you're, sa- that you're defending that. I'm saying that when you talk, if you want to talk about movie logic mm-hmm. versus the universe of this film, I would say that Edge of 17 is a pretty good example of a schematic coming-of-age story mm-hmm. where every, all the building blocks fit together very nice and neat. And in this film, it is much more of a fog. I, like I texted you guys, I think this movie captures the fog of war between being a child and being a young adult. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why the film doesn't have a linearity to it when it comes to its, or, or, a, or, a, or a single-minded clarity about every single emotion. It's because she doesn't know how she feels. She's trying to learn. And so much of the movie is about her getting to a place where she can learn. And I'm also like, I just, you know, I'm a fucking sucker for movies about young women learning to learn about themselves. Mm-hmm. As I mean, very much same. Yeah. And I wasn't won over. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Same. I truly don't know what else to say. I mean, <laughs> well, it's they, okay. No, it's, you don't have to keep defending it. <laughs> I do have to. Okay. No, this is what I texted. This is a podcast where we give our opinions. It is literally my job in this moment to defend the movie. Um, and on top of that, I just think that Bo Burnham is a really smart director. I, again, I, don't I literally, that. on the way home, I yelled to no one, Bo Burnham is not a smart man. I'm not even kidding. I, just, I hate him. I think, <laughs> what do you hate about him, Ben? I hate, I just, everything about this movie is cheap to me. The writing is so cheap. I What's don't, cheap about it? The way that I'm asked to believe that this girl behaves. I don't, I just, it's totally inauthentic you're, to me. No, you're asking for a fully formed character who behaves consistently. No, I'm not. Then what are you asking for? I am asking for someone that feel, I like, I don't see like the deep struggle in her. How? Can you miss that? I mean, every time she opens her mouth, it's a, it's word vomit. It's just it, like. It, it, it's, she starts to say something and then she takes it back. The way that she hunches her body together when she's walking in that yeah. swimsuit into the pool, like, how do you not? I don't understand. It just feels so obvious. I'm sorry that it's obvious that 14 year olds have a hard time being themselves. I mean, it, it's an important story. I, I, I don't. I, I think it's completely unfair to disregard it because you think it's obvious that she's the awkward girl. I think that's a. I think that's erasure. I that that I. Nope. <laughs> just get, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. This reminds me of something else that people complain about when they see archetypes in other movies, and they're like, I got another fucking archetype. There's archetypes for a reason. There are awkward girls who are going to see that, and awkward is such a dumb catch-all, like, mm-hmm. um, what's the, what's the uh, new girl thing? She's quirky or whatever. Adorkable. Mm. Adorkable. Adorkable. Yeah, fuck that. Forget awkward. She, she's not, she hasn't fully come into herself yet, and she has social anxiety. She doesn't know how to get along with other people, not because she's not an agreeable person, but because she doesn't know how to talk to them. So that's what awkward means in this situation. Someone who doesn't know who they are, doesn't know their environment, and it feels like their environment is working against them, no matter how much positivity they try to push into it. I'm sorry that that feels a little trite. I don't think that at all. I think that this film breathes life into that archetype in a way that, frankly, I've never seen in a coming-of-age story, at least in the past 10 years. I think that this is one of the best coming-of-age stories I've ever seen in my entire life. And I will remember... 
And Elsie Fisher gives one of the most tremendous performances I've seen this year. You can't topple Binoche. I was thinking of like, is she my favorite? It's like, no, you, you can't topple Binoche. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that this film, I think that this film actually beats back the idea of the stereotype of who this character is and actually gives a vivid, vividly sketched look at what the disaster of clarity in her head looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I and just, I feel very strongly about it, obviously. Mm-hmm. I relate to it very strongly. And more than that, it reminds me of watching my sisters grow up. And I I just don't think that... I just... This kind of character do, never, never gets the space that Bo Burnham gives her and that Elsie Fisher takes her in this movie. They are made to be a punchline or a supporting character or a best friend. And I think that it's liberating. I think that it's important. I think it's beautiful. My final thoughts are... The performance is great. The direction is great. The script is not great. I think the script is pretty genius when it comes to the the, the lack of resolve that all of all these things it sets up because the lead character doesn't possess the bravery or the passion that she thinks she does, and therefore we never actually see the scene where, um, where she tries to go on a date with Aiden, mm-hmm. you know, and then he's like, "Well, you have to blow me," which is what Edge of Seventeen does. Um, I think that I think that the resolve with the father is really beautiful and what she is saying about how like if she had a daughter she wonders if her daughter or if her daughter would like her and that is heartbreaking and mm-hmm. I think it connects to the fact that her mother left at a young age and you get another idea of like the formative trauma that's in this girl's head and I don't know I mean I don't know what else to say I I, I I'm, I'm sorry you guys didn't like the movie as much as I did like I, like I said an hour ago I walked into this movie, ex, ex, movie expecting it to be my number one. Great. I mean, it's not my number one. Um, it's not. I, I, I think it's right under Let the Sunshine In. Um, and it's funny because like, seeing Let the Sunshine In is such an experience for me because I feel like I'm being read as an adult, but I mm-hmm. watched this movie and it's so cringeworthy to me being because it makes child. me feel like a 14-year-old. And not because a man wrote it, but because I think a lot of those, I think a lot of those emotions are universal. But I think that when it comes to the specific dynamics of gender mm-hmm. in this age group, I think Burnham nails that too. And I think that Elsie Fisher nails it. And I'll say one thing, just a point I want to make, and then we can talk about homework because I know you guys don't want to talk about this movie anymore. No. But something that I, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm trying to wrap it up. I appreciate the ways in which Bo Burnham, through form and through framing, is showing how Kayla is able to actually harness control of herself through these videos. And also, pin in that, I also love the ways in which we use the, the, the videos as voiceover to drop out of scenes where, at first, I really actually just want to hear what she's saying to these characters. I want to hear her perform the song. I want to hear her dad talking her down. But by using that monologue from the video, I think that he very brilliantly illustrates the ways that she has distanced herself from her real world versus these self-help videos that she mm-hmm. puts out. You know, there's the one where she's like, you know, I had a party and this weird, weird girl came over. Like, she's totally taken the identity of someone else in all of these. And by the time when she stops doing the videos, it's not because she doesn't have love to give or isn't an authority. It's because she realizes that she is using it as a distancing mechanism from her real life. And I'm sorry, now I'm getting back to the thing and then I'm done. The way in the very beginning we start like on her face and then we zoom out and it's this idea of her losing control of her environment and where she is in it. And as the film goes on, we have like that shot in the pool and we have, uh, I think in the high school visit, like this repeated like Barry Lyndon. It's not what he's referencing, like the Barry Lyndon, like on the face and then zooming out onto the environment showing how dwarfed and how uh, helpless this character is. And then 
at the end of the film that he pushes in on her on that video to her to her future self is is beautiful to me. Um, and also the ways in which he frames her shooting the videos and that she seems to lose herself behind the screen as it goes mm. on and, and, and becomes less and less herself. So anyway, I love the way that that zoom sort of puts a period on it. Um, for the lo- and, and I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm sorry. I'm ha- I'm, it's been a weird 24 hours. I, I've, I've, it's been a weird 24 hours. But if anyone wants to talk to me and, and love on the film, I'd be happy to chat with you. Not that I haven't enjoyed this very much, but I would love to actually just... <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> just no, I, I have. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So if anyone wants to talk about it, let me know. All right. Stop. I'm just kidding. We <laughs> no, have homework. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Oh, it's my week. You are so we in are ta- yeah. So we are talking about three high school uh, films that f- focus on young girl protagonists. We are talking about Mariel Heller's *The Diary of a Teenage Girl*, Catherine Breillat's *Fat Girl*, and oh my god, um, Kelly Freeman Craig's *The Edge of 17. Let's start with *Diary of a Teenage Girl* because Daniel, I get to scoot to your side of the table. Oh no, I'm not <laughs> even defend against. I'm, I'm. I'll let you start because I'm. I'm pretty spent. <laughs> I'll jump in when I can. <laughs> there are things I like about it. Um, I when I first saw Diary of a Teenage Girl, it it threw me flat on my back, and I helpless, tender, helpless, open. tender, open. And I rewatched it, wondering if I was going to feel the same, and it just floored me, threw me, it knocked me for a loop, knocked you for a loop, all over again. Nice. Um, I I think uh, the casting of this movie is such a miracle. Kristen Wiig delivers her. Best performance. Um, well, bridesmaids is welcome to me. I would say it's welcome to me. Oh, welcome to me. I think I think among Al- her best performances. I think Alexander Skarsgård is tremendous. In this He's movie. incredible, and then of course, uh, Belle Polly's amazing. Oh yeah, she's the best. Um, I don't know. I think this movie's just such like breezy feminism in a very interesting way. It's I don't know. I just love the color palette of the whole movie. The period that it evokes. Yeah. Um, I think that it's remarkable the ways in which it takes a young girl's sexuality and ownership of her sexuality seriously while never shying away from the fact that she is being raped. Right. Like that that she was being manipulated by an older man. And yet that doesn't mean that this character isn't going to feel sexually liberated on some level because she's too young to fully realize what's going on. It's not a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But but it is so, it's provocative and I think really important the way that this film takes that relationship to explore and the way that Belle Pally's character, whose name is... I didn't have time to rewatch it before. It doesn't matter. The the ways in which she experiences ecstasy and similar to eighth grade, thinks that she's growing up when in reality she isn't. And in this case is being taken advantage of. And really many in a really ugly and gross way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it takes her sexuality seriously. Yeah. That she, yeah. Yeah. Without, without shaming her. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, mm, I just love any story about female sexuality mm-hmm. and just, yeah, it gives her all the power and she's taking ownership of her own sexuality, even though, like you said, she is being abused. Um, I think that's really powerful in the way it uses that. I hate the animation stuff. Why? I hate it as a subplot. I hate the device in the mise-en-scene. I don't know. I just don't like it. So so you you would like it if she was just sketching and we only see it on the page? Yeah. Interesting. That it becomes part of the film. Yeah, I hate it. floats. I think that it's a great way. Feathers. I think it's a great way of bringing her safe space to life and what she does in order to have friends, have a hobby, in order to feel like she has some place in the world. 
and allies on her side because her mom loves her but isn't really a great friend to her. I think bringing the the feminist scholar whose name I can't remember. But bringing her to life, walking together down the street, I find mm-hmm. it beautiful, and I like the animation style. And uh, and that's another way I think this movie is totally distinctive, um, and and quite visual. In, in terms of story, that doesn't necessarily need to be visually out of the box into something explosive with not just creativity, but the blossoming of this um, young girl's soul. Even though it's very tricky, I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it too. But I think I think <laughs> Kristen Wiig is outstanding in this movie. I love the way yeah. that it brings I mean it's like Zodiac level for me. I mean this movie is not as good as Zodiac, but it's Zodiac level when it comes to evoking the San Francisco of yore and on one level mm-hmm. it's even more tactile than Zodiac as most of Zodiac is created in a computer. Mm-hmm. And and I love the color palette. I love the muted the muted Jimmy Carter <laughs> era of it all. Yeah. Just a, a um the mo- whole movie feels like it takes place in a hangover. The third act of the movie really drives the whole thing home when It's she- a horror movie. Yeah, when it turns and she has the fling with the other girl, which really drives home the fact that she is in charge of her sexuality. She's going to sleep with this, be swept up by this woman and fall into drug dens on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, then, oh God, but then she terrible. leaves, and now I, I forget how the movie ends, but I think it ends around there. She reunites with her mom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just... Home. I think it's really beautiful. The Her whole mom, thing. Kristen Wiig slaps her across the face. Right. Which I slaps love. and then hugs. Which she deserves a little slap. Well, uh-huh. no, she yeah. ran away. She, she does. But I but I like that the movie, which is really so much about Minnie, focuses on the hurt that her mother feels in all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has been betrayed on some level. I mean, yeah. she doesn't like her mom, but sleeping with your mom's boyfriend, even if you're of legal age, yeah. is still a pretty shitty thing to do. It's yeah, pretty fucked up. I love, I love the scene. And it was in a hotel or something. In a lobby of some sort. Which it's scene? been three years since I've seen this movie. Oh, when she's like, well, you have to marry my daughter. Oh, yeah. that's I love yeah, that yeah. scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, I love this movie. I don't have much more to say. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't have time to rewatch it, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because then I'd just be talking more about it. But I, I will rewatch it. I, I loved that movie. It's, it's a good one. It was my number three that year. Four, I don't know. It was my number three. <gasps> Fun. You guys. Oh. What else are we talking about? Oh, Edge of 17. Woody Harrelson's best so performance. Good. So, good. so good. I want to talk about Ben's point, which I disagreed with in the group chat. And then watching the movie, I'm like, no, this is 100% accurate. Oh, yeah. Ben, explain the point. Um, It's a movie that sets up to be about this friendship between... Uh, Haley and what's the other... Is it her name also Haley? Haley Lou? It's, uh... Please hold. In real life. Haley Lou is the character. It's Haley and Haley. They're both the Haley's. The both actresses like the are two Jakes. Haley's. Yeah. What are their names in the movie? So that their names in the movie are Nadine and Krista. Nice. Nadine and Krista. You, you are set up to believe that it's going to be a movie about their friendship and the way that it's torn when Krista starts sleeping with and dating Nadine's brother. But really... It becomes about Nadine finding herself through a man. The restorative powers of heterosexual coupling. Ah, uh, yeah. Heterosexual it's coupling. A big, it's a big oof of it's an ending. It's just like, it's a, Chris is like, we can talk later. It's a, <laughs> that's right. She leaves. It's a, I mean, the only, I don't, I don't mean, we don't need to get into it. I, I disagree that the film is saying that it's about female friendship. I don't think, I don't agree with that, but I do think it, it leaves that thread unresolved and it should resolve it. Yes. But it and is I think a cre- it should be the final resolving Yeah, I agree. Beat. I agree. But it is a credit to Woody Harrelson's richly felt and 
sub, like kind of subversive in many ways performance that when he's like when when she is at his home at the end of the movie with his wife and child and it's this scene of domestic bliss mm-hmm. he's like it's hope or whatever or like the mm-hmm. wife says it but he's like it, it, you can have this too yeah. it's like maybe she doesn't fucking want that yeah to change diapers and boil carrots for dinner fuck that <laughs> May, like she there's nothing about that character that makes me think she wants to settle down in the next couple of years yeah or settle down ever yeah it, and i i just the, hate i hate the trope of uh well this guy has liked me the whole time so i'm gonna erwin who is an incel who is an incel uh, yeah uh, dig into that Can i talk about this? i yes. very much agree yeah so on second watch on first watch i was in I'm, lust well, i'm, I'm in still love in love over the, i still am but, in lust but yes. no longer in love because yeah. his personality is shit Correct. well I, it's not even it's it's the way that he reveals his personality through his art. So at the end of the movie, she goes to the student film festival that he has an animated film in. Which it, blows. It fucking sucks. Why is anyone applauding it, it, it? It is the worst third act student made movie I've seen since Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. LOL. I hate that movie. Um, the, so the, the, the animated short is about a, a, a perfect male alien mm-hmm. who is a perfect gentleman, nothing but accommodating to this beautiful alien girl who he loves, and she rejects him, and he tries harder, and she rejects him, and he, she leads him on and rejects him, yeah. and then he saves her from a monster, and then she tries to kiss him at the end, and he's like, no, fuck you, and then he goes to a pool, which is his pool in his backyard, which is a callback to him, and... Haley skinny or like swimming and she pretends to want to have sex with them with all these busty babes and then the girl's all sad or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's a total incel thing. It's like in in, in Irwin's mind, he's like, I'm, I want a relationship. I want love and I'm worth it and I'm giving it out there. I'm a good guy, but goddamn women just won't reciprocate it because they can have anyone they want and they want to take advantage of me and take my love and stomp on it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's literally that literally makes you an incel. Yes. Erwin yeah. is an incel. Hashtag, yes. hashtag Erwin is an incel. <laughs> That's right. The pool scene when, when, when she like says, let's have sex. And then it's like, just kidding. And he's like, Oh, he's, he's, he says, you can't say that to a man. You can't say that to a man. Which by the way, I think the film agrees with him on some level. I think so. She's made to bizarre. look like the asshole yeah. in that moment. He literally plays a song that says you're a dickhead and you're meant to like I agree that, that she's a dickhead. And it's like, well, no. She got her comeuppance. I, I think that everyone treats her very unfairly throughout this movie and then is more interested in redeeming those other characters than mm-hmm. it is her. Correct. She's meant to learn a lesson that she is the dickhead at the end of this movie and that she has to be better. And like, yeah, who doesn't need to get better in their mm-hmm. teenage years? And Haley Steinfeld's performance, which is so fucking good, mm-hmm. and is doing everything it can to like repel you, the audience. Yeah, but she still manages you to manages to keep you on her side. Um, like some of the things she says. Something I love about the script of this movie is just the disgusting things she says, which are not written in a way, in my opinion, to be like John Hughes clever. They're written in a way to talk about how teenagers converse in hyperbole that is often grotesque, mm-hmm. at, sort of as as a mode of pretending to have a personality or making up for parts of themselves that they aren't comfortable sharing or, or like, yeah, exactly that. Like rather than be vulnerable and say, you hurt me say you're going to get AIDS or something, which I don't mm-hmm. like that. That's one of the things that gets thrown around. Oh yeah. Movie. That line was a little yeah. weird, but you know, I still like this movie on the whole and it's like mostly it because of Haley Steinfeld's performance and Woody Harrelson's performance. Pop sensation and Academy award nominee. 
Haley. I know I told you guys, but I don't think I said on the mic, but I was, no, I did. I did say it. I did say on the mic already that I was at a glad event and saw her perform and screamed edge of 17. Mm. And she's like, what? I rattled her. I love that. Uh, Yeah. I like this movie a lot. It's just not great. Yeah. How are we on time? It's just very commercial. We have 20 minutes to talk about Fat Girl. I was going to say, this is the moment we've all been waiting for to talk about Catherine Breyes' A Fat film girl. we all agree on. Yes. Fat Girl. Fat Girl. My Fat favorite girl. movie of all I'm time. I'm also... Next to Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Mission Impossible Fallout would be a great alternate title for Fat Girl. Oh. <laughs> oh, fuck. When she fall out, out of, of the, the car. The car. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Uh, just where, where do you guys want to start with this? Because the ass a, in the head. Do you want to start with the ass in the head? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay, go for it. Because it's the it's funniest great. thing I've ever seen. It's so jarring. You know, like something's got to happen. Never, yeah. Well, it's been building this tension with, uh, the, drive. On, with the drive on the something's highway. Something's got to release the trucks that are just it's zooming so past. Ominous. There, yes. My favorite. And I mean, this is where I really and I don't. It, it, I understand it, that there's this cruel sense of humor, and I laughed plenty throughout the movie. I didn't laugh when she got axed in the head. I gasped and then was like, fuck yeah. But when I did laugh was when they are, like, taking the three of them are taking a little pit stop, mm-hmm. and the two sisters are off while Anais is puking, mm-hmm. and the mom is, like, at the car. She's like, come on, we gotta go. And then all of a sudden, like, a truck just, like, whooshes right you past You think her. she's gonna get You think fucking... she's gonna get hit in the head. Like, she's uh. gonna get steamrolled. Um... Uh, Mary Louise, uh, Mary Liz, Mary Louise Parker style in uh, Red Sparrow. Oh, fuck. I forgot. Yeah, you think that. she's yeah. going to get plowed yeah. down. I mean, that is when I bust a gut in this movie. Uh, like, you always, someone's going to, something's happening. Yeah, oh, but it I is, it's it. hilarious. And uh, she's, the accident you know, it's, all. you know, something is coming because she's been talking the whole movie that, uh, she wants her first time to not be special. She wants, and they park, and you're like, "Oh, some, she's going to get out of the car she's and get in get with the truck driver." Or something. Like, some, she's going to have a a moment. This is going to happen, and then it's not what you think. And she, <laughs> I still think it's just. So I find it quite horrifying funny. what you're talking about. <laughs> Someone looks through the windshield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And it's jarring. Just in one motion, jumps through the windshield and smacks the sister with the axe in the face. It's, it's and the mom is not awake one. yet. Right. Well, that's why I actually don't. That's why I actually don't think any of this happens. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I, really? I'm not saying it's a dream, but I'm saying that it is sort of a a an ecstatic expression of hyperbole where we leave reality. In my opinion, like when the mom doesn't wake up. You're telling me the mom doesn't wake up when the windshield is shattered. She only wakes up when someone's choking the life out of her. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think this happens. I think interesting. that I think That's that if I think that if you, it it can happen. Like I still accept it in the reality of the movie, and mm-hmm. in, on that level, it becomes even more like cosmically cruelly yeah. funny. But I think that the movie does end when they park in the rest stop, and that this is all Anais's fantasy. That is really interesting. I, I, know, like I didn't that. Even think I definitely that. read it as real. But Which you can. Yeah. You totally can. That's but that's interesting, interesting to read it as her fantasy. Well, because, and, and you know, I'm, this is the only... As someone who also has violent sexual fantasies. I know, no, I know. And that's <laughs> I really what, love that's that. That's what I was thinking about. And I was thinking about Belle de Jour, mm-hmm. um, about these sexually humiliating circumstances that the Catherine Deneuve character works out through in her head, which mm-hmm. as a viewer, you're like, oh my God, like... Yeah. Someone saved this woman, but it is her own sexual fantasy. And mm-hmm. that's how I think, that's how I redeem the, the fairly repellent uh, act that ends the film with her being raped in the mm. forest. I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to watch and, yeah. and um, vile and absolutely makes a feminist point when, once we get around to it. But 
What does she say? What are you going to do? Not believe she me? Says, she says, you don't like you're, you don't have to believe me or like believe me or don't or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, which is yeah. such an interesting Well, especially right on. now. I mean, I mean it, it is interesting yeah. that they would probably just assume she's been raped. Mm-hmm. But she's, she's saying like, I wasn't. She well, was because, like, because she's consented. She claims to. She wants it. She will believe that yeah. she wants it. And this mm-hmm. is like so tricky to even talk about because she's still a child. She yeah. doesn't. You can't consent. Yeah. That there's no yeah. such thing as consent in in that. Even case. in right. France, where the age of consent is sixteen. I think you're just born with the age of consent. <laughs> but yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, and like that's what the. The man with the rock hard cock oh, says to the sister, "That's the next topic. You're not yeah. 16, so we can't do this." Yeah, but fully in his heart, he knows he's going to do it. He just yeah. feels like he has to Piece say that. Shit. That's a formality to mm-hmm. say. What I love Be about the hot Italian. What I love about the rock, rock hard, hard cock. Penis. What I love about the rock hard cock, and it's like a 15 minute sex scene. That that, that scene, one? that middle section, yeah. is so long. But what I love there about- are there are two long sex scenes. Yes, yeah. that, that make, first one. In they, yes, the first one is longer, and they like comprise like seventy percent of, of the movie. movie. And mm-hmm. what I love about it is that it's all told from Anais's gaze. Yeah, and that when we do a reverse shot, she's like, you can see her in the background. Anais is all over this. Yeah, and that really, I think, I don't think the camera it. ever goes over to the other side of the bed. It does. It does. It does. And you see her faking, you know, oh uh, right, pretending to be asleep. But we never get a reverse of just. The lovers. I think. No, 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 no. They're in the shot, but so no, I know. But I mean, without her, we never. No, get no, 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 no. That's, that's my. That's my whole point. Yeah, like, I know. This all it, it goes to show Bray's skill with simplicity, mm-hmm. because to only have be covering this very um, lengthy, very quite substantial scene in the film from essentially two angles, yeah. and still manage to have a character who is not on the bed be the main flavor yes. over a lot of it is quite substantial. That she's still the lead of the movie. Even yeah, though even though she gets less screen time, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. I don't... She's not... Uh, what am I trying to say? She's not the active protagonist in a way. Like, right. the, sister the sister is the one that has things the, happening the to her. The sister has the... Yeah, it's not even agency. It's yeah, yeah. exactly right. It's just the things... Activities are being done yes. upon her. She literally. is a magnet. Yeah. She's just for the rock Anais hard is just cock. observing. Anais, though, I mean, we, let's keep talking about the sex because I want to talk about Anais, but we should the keep on this. Hot dick. Oh my God, when that dick emerged. The, the oppressive monster dick. Uh, I mean, because yes. this whole scene is about patriarchy Him. and about male manipulation yeah. and about subjugating women yeah. and, 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 and subjugating women from a young age mm-hmm. so that they expect this to be the world they're living in. Not something to question, but as just the way things are. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, it's it's very disturbing when he coerce, coer, coerces her into anal. I was oh, like, God. I was like, oh, of course he would do that. It's of course. When, well, when, he, when, he, when he talks about like, when he's just saying like, I wouldn't do it if I didn't love you, and I'm not gonna love you if you don't yeah. consent. Mm-hmm. And also, all these guys are gonna want to take advantage of you by doing it with me. You're actually getting to take care of this very important step in your life with someone you can trust, and that like, which is. Oh, well, of course, if you don't do this, like I'm going to have himself. to go get off somewhere, somewhere else. Somewhere else. Exactly. With someone else. And right. Like, so it's like a threat that like, making well, her I'm going to leave like you. the most and the least important person. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so fucking It's <sighs> so gross and, and so violent and, 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 mm-hmm. and brutal. And um, 
wicked. Like, it's so hard to watch, and she forces you to watch it, but you're watching it through Anais's gaze. Mm-hmm. So there is. I'm, I'm literally the cover as I watch the movie. Yeah, with your hand <laughs> covering your face. Yes. I, I love the scene of her on, not the diving board, but on the little platform over the pool, and she's just like coating her legs in, uh, in sunscreen. Oh, it's so good. So funny. So much sunscreen. But I have so much empathy for Anais, the way that everyone in her family hates her. Truly. I like how the, it's either the mom. the fat girl. Exactly. The mom or the dad, or maybe both of them, they they simultaneously, Mm -hmm. they simultaneously tell her she eats, tells her she eats too much, but then also like, Tells her to eat more at the same, like eat more because it'll make yeah. you feel better. You're eating again. Yeah. Well, it's they all about both. control. I mean, yeah. when she and her sister, and also like the movie has this tenderness to it. Uh, in the scene where she and her sister are in bed together after they've made up from their fight and they're mm. laughing and everything and talking yeah. about how the older sister used to play mommy, and then once Anais got to a certain age that she couldn't be manipulated, mm-hmm. she started to hate her. Yeah. And the same thing goes for their actual mother. Like that's what they don't like about Anais. It's like. She is at an age now where she actually can assert herself and be herself, right. and they want to subjugate her and keep her keep her down. And it's like they won't let the sister talk shit about the her weight. They're gonna be like, "Well, she has don't the, doesn't they say she has a chemical thing? Like there's I think maybe like there's a reason. Like she just that's just her body composition or whatever. Uh, but it's like then the mom will still be like, "You're eating again," and like. It's very much about just like what they think they're supposed to do. And then there are these moments of what they really feel. Yeah. And they're just uh, drilling this deep sense of shame into her, Mm -hmm. which is another reason why I think it might be sort of a fantasy escape at the end because she is sometimes subtly, sometimes very on the nose being pummeled by the everyone else in the family being shamed, being taken advantage of being ignored. Yeah. Um, all she wants to do is feel herself. She wants to cut that skirt, that dress all the way up mm. to her mid thigh. You know, like that. she just wants to feel herself and, and, and do what she wants to do. And everyone is trying to keep her down. Yeah. So by the end of the movie, it's just sort of reached a boiling point within her. It's very cathartic. It's a, exactly. And that's why I think it feels so cathartic. Whether or not, it doesn't have to be a dream for it to be cathartic, yeah. but because of that pent up, uh, repressed fury. It's an explosion. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie has this tremendous sense of potential energy as it goes on, and then once we're on the road, Brea starts whipping it up and like into charging the scene for the kinetic axe murdering uh, Uh, moment uh, at the end. When need a still of that? Uh, When I just can't get over when she falls out of the car. That is funny. That is comedy. <laughs> Just plopping on and the it's concrete. So brilliant that she has a brilliant a, a two brilliant. door car. Yeah, because then she has to she has to maneuver away the body, yeah. and then the body falls. Oh my god! It's just brilliant. I just can't get over it. It is just. And it's like the door is there. It's like not even seen. You see her sort of fall, and there's a sound effect. It's genius. It's just genius. <laughs> what do you guys think about the shot in the second sex scene when we do leave the lovers and we go over to Anais on the bed and she is sobbing? Mm. What do we make of this? It's yeah, I I haven't really thought about it. I just I like made a mental note of it, but haven't really unpacked it. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's I'm upsetting. It. I just but like, what is she's. For for me, it's the moment in eighth grade when when Kayla 
has that moment in the car. Because, like I'm saying, Anise is all over that sex scene. Mm -hmm. It's the moment when she realizes she's too young for this, that she doesn't know, that she's not sexually mature, that she doesn't, you know, Anise is often like the smartest person in the room, but she's actually not. She's a child. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to being confronted with something as real, not just as sex, but of rape, which is what's happening. Right. It's too much. Yeah. She's the carbon sink of the movie. This, and I'm done with the eighth grade comparison. She's the carbon sink of the movie. And this is when she has hit her rupturing point. Yeah. Yeah. I love this movie. It just made me so sad. It's sad. It's a troubling scene. I didn't really intellectualize what I think it means. I was just, that was probably the saddest I I I was. I thought a lot about it afterwards. It was probably the saddest I was in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something you just said reminded me about. uh, Bless you. When after the first, the anal sex scene in the morning, she walks the Italian to the door, out to the gate outside, and she wants to blow him at that point, but the Italian won't let her because now it has become a control situation, and he is the patriarchy, and it's no long he doesn't want it right now, right? So he's or maybe he does, but if he does, it's on his own terms. Yeah, he's going. So he's going to humiliate her instead and be like, "No, you're going to get pneumonia. Get off your knees." And uh, in the guise of I'm trying to help you, yes. but I'm actually gaslighting you. But really, I just want to leave. Yeah. Uh-huh. He just wants to go at this point. Yeah. He wants to do the sex later. He has a day. He has a day planned, maybe. He's a man. He has places to be. He has places to be. <laughs> he has people to talk to. He's a lawyer. He's going to be. He's I don't remember. I love <sighs> his mother. I love his mother, too. When she storms in, like, <laughs> where's my ring? My precious. Oh, yes. My the precious. Ring. How would he give it to her? How could she accept it? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Love brilliant. this movie. Brilliant. 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 Nice. Trying to think of how Jean Dielman fits into all of this. The uh, length of this episode. It had, I already what, said. what are we, like 90 minutes? No, I just already made that joke. 90. Oh. Remember? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Come on. Yeah, sorry. I'm exhausted. It's been a long week. I have a stuffy nose. Oh, are you sick? Kind of, you need no. You sneezed. You need to wait. Are you sick? Yeah, a little bit. I was sick earlier. Stay this away. Week. Stay away. I probably have whatever, or I, I've already had whatever you have right now. I think we have the same thing. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Movies IMO. I am running to go get a face mask at CVS across the street so I don't catch this bug. Oh, well, you gotta sorry. go. I should have said something. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta Just get go. Get an ibuprofen patch. I don't know Probably how fine. that specifically will help. Honestly, I'm probably but I just want the numbness <laughs> of the ibuprofen <laughs> patch on my just, body. Just right there. Yeah. So I never got into a nicotine patch, but mm. that would be sort of the, the, the idea sure. to just like numb out that place on my chest Mm. i'm probably gonna get if y'all are sick there's something going around and i've been interacting with literally hundreds of people i do think it was from in hollywood yeah exactly exactly you will become ill film festivals are incubators for germs Mm -hmm. yes it's just like we're all together yeah yes for days so i'm probably gonna get sick in the next couple days i'm just once it's like once it's monday and like you are no longer working yeah and the adrenaline leaves your body yeah that's the other thing it's like when you're on a movie set everyone gets sick the day after exactly exactly. every single person there's just like something there's a psychosomatic thing that you know you can't get sick yet yeah but it will happen it's going to happen it's going to happen to you (laughs) to you and we are on twitter um oh that was a bad segue i mean we'll just let's just get it out we'll just get it out of the way um 
We're Movies IMO. You can find us on Twitter at Movies IMO. Please leave us a five-star review on the iTunes store with the hashtag Irwin is an incel. We will read it. <laughs> we will read it on the podcast. Oh, we got a very nice review from someone um, whose name I will look up on the next episode. But thank you for the nice review. Um, and I'm Daniel Crook. It, we go. I do it now, right? Sure. Okay, I'm Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. And um, I'm looking forward to sailing away to an Outfest event with Brandon after this. <gasps> well, nice. I'm just kidding. I'll go. Please. Okay. I'm sick, but well, I'll go. Well, actually, if you're sick and you don't want to go, that's fine. Let me decide. Okay. I'm Brandon Kirby. <laughs> I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to this event. And you can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. I'm Ben MB. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. I have some very exciting news, which is that Mother has unblocked me on Twitter. <gasps> Wait, what? Um, I was... It's weird that she like sought you out to it's, unblock it's weird, you. It's weird that I just mentioned her in a tweet. Did you? And then she seems to unblock you. That's a weird causality. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I taking was, credit is what I'm saying. Yeah, doing. that's fine. I was looking through someone's likes as one does when one stalks. I've someone. never done that, but I'm, I hear that I should. <laughs> yeah. I hear that it's useful. Yeah. It is. And I saw... A Christine Vachon tweet, and I was like, "If she's blocked me, this shouldn't be here." So I clicked on it, and I don't follow her anymore because that's what happens when someone blocks you. But I can see her profile now. I'm sure that she was going through her block list and was like, "Oh, this isn't this boy's not trying." I to tr- I truly think she was in a drunken rage. Oh yeah, I mean, because all she does is drink. Y- you know what's common? Wisdom. You know what she's drinking. This was this Beer. was my tweet. No, oh. no, oh. My tweet is based on the only thing she tweets about, which Red is wine. anytime she is in an airport lounge, mm. she reviews the free Sauve Blanc mm. and the snacks. And most of the time, it's not a positive review. Yeah. Oh my God. The, the, the amount of time she has alliterated subpar Sauve Blanc. <laughs> that's my next tattoo. Nice. The tweet was basically like those stupid contests you see with like celebrities and their white signs that are like, come get dinner with me. Like mm. the only time I would enter one of those if it was Christine Bashan saying, come drink bad Sauve Blanc with me in an airport lounge. Like that sounds fun. I love that. That sounds fun because she's still going to get drunk. This well now this is officially um, slander, but uh, <laughs> love my love dream mother, love of what happened is that Phyllis Naj, who follows me <gasps> was like was like Christine. have you seen this kid who is <gasps> at real Todd Haynes because sometimes she does interact with my tweets I I assumed for a while I was muted but no everyone's a while she'll like she'll do a fave nice. um, so I'm I wonder if that's what that's you my goal that's my imagination of. yes that and. Christine Vachon was like, oh, I've blocked him. That's weird. My mistake. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have some of these subpar pierogies. As I unblock <laughs> this boy. This young faggot. <laughs> unblock all the young faggots. That's... I'm so glad that my at is real Todd Haynes so that when I said that, I remembered the anecdote that I wanted to bring up. <laughs> Excellent. How great. How useful. How useful. Here's to mother. Let, let's raise a glass of what it, our empty bottles and glasses and yeah. pretend it's full of water. Let's use. pretend it's full of subpar Sauv Blanc and let's clink and let's call it a night. Great. Wait, what are we talking about next week? Oh, oh. hold on. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll clink at the end. We'll clink at the end. <laughs> next week, we are talking about David Lynch's Twin Peaks The Return. Next week, we are talking about Next week, we're talking about Impossible Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout. No, 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 I'm sorry. No, it is Twin Peaks. We're recording three episodes within a week. I got confused. Should, we, right. should we release... We can talk about this off mic, but maybe we should release Fallout before The Return. No. We could release it though on the Monday after its opening. No, it doesn't because matter. we recorded okay. on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Oh, and I won't have. Okay, it's all good. Wait, we're recording it 
to next Sunday. Next Sunday. Okay, great. All right, here's to Christine Bashan, everybody. <gasps> clink, clink, clink. Mwah. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.